I would invite you in your homes to open to Genesis chapter 10. Genesis chapter 10. And uh, I'm going to be reading this um, list of names, this genealogy. It is God's word. And when we gather together, we stand for the reading of God's word. So I'm just going to invite you, if you're able to, in your rooms um, where you're gathered, to, to stand for the reading of God's word. Genesis chapter 10. These are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. The sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Medai, Javan, Tubal, Meshach, and Tiras. Sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Rephath, and Togarmah. The sons of Javan, Elisha, Tarshish, Kittim, and Dodanim. From these, the coastlands peoples spread in their lands, each with his own language, by their clans in their nations. The sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. Sons of Cush, Seba, Habala, Sabta, Rama, and Septica. Sons of Rama, Sheba, and Dedan. Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on the earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before Yahweh. Therefore it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before Yahweh. The beginnings of his kingdom was the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Achad, and Kalna in the land of Shinar. From that land he went into Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth Ir, Kela, and resin between Nineveh and Kela, that is the great city. Egypt fathered Ludim, Anamim, Lahabim, Naphtuhim, Pathrasim, Kasluhim, from whom the Philistines came, and Kaphtarim. Canaan fathered Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, and the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Archites, the Sinites, the Arvidites, the Zemorites, and Hamathites. Afterward, the clans of the Canaanites dispersed, and the territory of the Canaanites extended from Sidon in the direction of Gerar as far as Gaza, and in the direction of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zeboim as far as Lacia. These are the sons of Ham by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. To Shem also, the father of all the children of Eber, the elder brother of Japheth, children were born. The sons of Shem, Elam, Ashur, Arpachshad, Lud, and Aram. The sons of Aram, Uz, Hul, Gether, and Mash. Arpachshad fathered Shelah, and Shelah fathered Eber. To Eber were born two sons. The name of the one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. Joktan fathered Amadad, Sheleph, Hazarmaveth, Jera, Hadaram, Uzal, Dikla, Obal, Abimael, Sheba, Ophir, Havilah, and Jobab. All these were the sons of Joktan. The territory in which they lived extended from Mesha in the direction of Sephar, to the hill country of the east. 
These are the sons of Shem by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. These are the clans of the sons of Noah according to their genealogies in their nations, and from these the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. You can be seated and please join me in prayer. Father, we're a people who need your word. I don't know from this this spot I stand, the situation of everybody who's listening to this sermon, who's participating in this service. You do. So together we ask that your word, not my word, your word, would speak with clarity today. And so just, just help whatever I'm doing to be in service of that and we ask for a powerful movement of your spirit that your word would, would have its effect. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Susanna Moody was one of the early settlers of Canada. The first time she got off the boat and set foot on Canadian soil, she was shocked. Her upper-class British sensibilities didn't know what to do with the swarm of immigrants that surrounded her. She would write, I shrank with feelings almost akin to fear from the hard-featured sunburnt harpies as they elbowed rudely past me. Now, for those who don't know, Harpies wasn't a compliment. It was like calling someone a subhuman leech. And despite the fact that such sentiments were more accepted back then, we know such words are out of line. And yet still, despite all of our progress, when we see someone who's very different than us, Many of us can feel uncomfortable. Perhaps we might sense those feelings almost akin to fear. And yet, at the same time, many of us look at someone radically different than us and see our shared humanity. So you see that immigrant mom jostling with her toddler who's throwing a tantrum and and our hearts go out to her. We see ourselves in that woman. You see, two flames burn within us. A fire that sees differences and therefore recoils and feels threatened and a fire that sees past differences to our common humanity. And so the question becomes, which fire do we stoke? Which which fire do we feed? And depending on the voices we listen to and the era we live in, one fire may burn stronger and hotter than the other. But both flames exist in all of us. And to pretend they don't is naive. 
which is why the genealogy here in Genesis chapter 10 is important. Because it helps us make sense of these two seemingly competing fires. Now, genealogies are are tricky for us modern readers. Sometimes it's hard to know what to make of these extensive lists of names. I, uh, I think the main benefit in our family is some names to giggle at. Our kids love to giggle at some of the names. So I think of uh, Arpakshad or Nimrod. Giggle-worthy names. But genealogies are important for more than just laughs. God has actually put them in our Bibles to teach us. They're there for our edification And so to help us understand how to interpret genealogies, I just want to at the outset give us two tips. And the first is to look for patterns and break from the patterns within the genealogy. So all uh, all genealogies have a pattern. For example, in our genealogy, each of the three sons starts and ends basically the same way. So you have in verse 2, the sons of Japheth. Verse 6, the sons of Ham. And verse 22, the sons of Shem. And they end basically the same way too. So in verse 5, from these the coastland people spread in their lands, each with his own language, by their clans, in their nations. And then in verse 20, these are the sons of Ham by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. And then in verse 31, these are the sons of Shem by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. That's a pattern, right? We see that pattern in this genealogy. And there's an obvious break from the rhythm of the pattern with Nimrod. We're hearing a bunch of place names or names over and over again, but there's a point with Nimrod in emphasizing how cities like Babel and Nineveh and the Assyrians were founded by this Mighty, mighty hunter. But there's actually another break from the pattern in our genealogy when you compare it to other genealogies in the Bible. Because this one seems far more random. It's like a smattering of names. Other genealogies have kind of a, a, a really, a really uh, formulaic expression. So-and-so fathered such-and-such and lived 300 years, and he died. Such and such fathered what's-his-name and lived 20 years, and he died, and so on. But you might have noticed as I read, ours follows no such pattern. In fact, there's a, a mix of people and nations and cities all mixed together like they're the same thing. It's, it's a hodgepodge. And it's a hodgepodge that's decidedly or purposefully not a complete list. So verse 5 tells us, that there were names left out from Japheth's listing. And we'll see later from chapter 11 in Shem's genealogy that that Shem's genealogy is incomplete. Now what's interesting is that as you count up the names, there's a couple different ways to count it, but you, you get roughly 70 peoples or nations listed here. Now 70 for the Hebrew mind was a number of wholeness or completion. We're going to talk more about that in a moment. 
But all that to say, these are some things that you'd see in our genealogy when you're, you're looking for patterns and breaks in the pattern. So the second tip of the genealogy is to treat it like a rest in music. See, genealogies are often structural markers within a whole book. And like a rest in a musical score, they don't carry a whole lot of meaning by themselves. They take their meaning based on how they fit within their context, based on what comes before and what comes after. Now, we're going to see how this works with our genealogy later in the sermon But now I just want us to see those tips. Look for patterns and breaks from the pattern and read genealogy like arrested music because its meaning often emerges from its context. Okay, got that primer out of the way. Let's go back to Susanna Moody and the two fires that burn within all of us. And as I said, Genesis 10 is important because it helps us make sense of these two competing fires within us, one for division and distrust and one for unity and shared humanity. And let's look at the two strong emphases within this genealogy. First, notice that we're being driven to see how the great expanse of nations, those 70 nations, the the completion of humanity, all stem, all descend from one family. Down from the deserts of Africa to the islands of the Mediterranean, all the way to Asia, all of them came from the same family. The Jews, the Greeks, the Arabs, the Caucasians, the Africans, the Asians, all descended from the original family portrait that Matt described last week. Have you ever seen one of those uh, family portraits of a, of a large family that has it's multi-generational? So you, you have the great-grandparents, and then you have their many children and their spouses, and then you have the grandchildren and some of them with spouses, and even a smattering of great-grandchildren. You look at the picture, it's this dizzying amount of people all crammed into a picture. You can barely make out the faces. And even more amazingly, they all, all descended from these two elderly people who are usually seated in the middle of the picture. That's what chapter 10 is giving us. It's often called a table of nations. Remember, it's intentionally crafted with these 70 names. It's like the author is saying, the whole world came from Noah's family. Japheth, with his ancestors on the far reaches of the world Israel would have known, the ends of the earth, the foreignest of foreigners, they came from Noah. Ham, with his catalog of superpowers and arch enemies of Israel, They came from Noah. And Shem, with Eber, the father of the Hebrews, as well as a smattering of other tribes, they came from Noah. The whole world descended from one family. We all come from Noah. We all come from Adam. For all our differences, 
we are one. And the fact that we see in this passage this one family spreading out and filling the earth is exactly what God wanted. It's God's design. The original mandate to Adam was to be fruitful and fill the earth. And that mandate was repeated to Noah in chapter 9, verse 1, when he says to him, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So that is what's happening. This genealogy seems to indicate that this is going according to plan. Noah's descendants after the fall are spreading through the whole world. One people, one family I should say, filling the whole world. But there's a second emphasis in this genealogy. As some of our legwork did, uh, in, in, in the, the pattern, the break from the pattern showed us. The second emphasis is that all these people who are descended from Noah, or, or, or if the first emphasis is all, that all these people are descended from Noah, the second is how different they are. So remember the refrain the pattern that we heard at the end of each one of them. Verse 5. Their lands, their languages, their clans, their nations. Verse 20, slightly different order. Their clans, their languages, their lands, their nations. Verse 31. Their clans, their languages, their lands, their nations. And then... This emphasis is underscored by the summary of the whole section there in verse 32. These are the clans of the sons of Noah according to their genealogies in their nations. And from these, the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. Different, different lands, different clans, different nations, different languages. When there are wars, think about the history of the world, when there are wars, what's the cause of those wars? These very things. It's our clan versus your clan. Our nation versus your nation. The boundary of our land should be here and not there. When there is hatred or racism, today what is it over these very things right different nations different clans so as much as this genealogy draws our attention to our common lineage this genealogy also draws our attention to our differences the very differences that sow seeds of division and hatred and that would have been felt very keenly by the Israelites reading these things because as they saw these list of names, particularly Ham's, but all of them, they would have seen that the strife and the discord created by Nimrod and his people. So when you look at the patterns and the breaks from the patterns within our genealogy, we find both fires burning. The fire of our shared humanity the fire that bristles at our differences. 
But remember when I was talking about genealogies, how I said genealogies are like a rest in music, and I said we'll look at that in just a little bit. And that rest by itself tells us something, but, but it often can't be understood within the score unless you, you, or it can't be understood unless you understand how it fits within the score. But once you do, that rest can hold massive significance. So while the patterns within the genealogy simply draw attention to the tension uh, between unity and division, the space this genealogy occupies within the book is also critical. So with the remainder of the sermon, I want to look at what just precedes our genealogy and what just follows it. So let's start with what precedes our genealogy. As you hopefully recall from Matt's sermon last week, the high hopes for post-flood humanity went crashing down when righteous Noah got drunk, took off his clothes, and passed out naked. And worse yet, his middle son sees him, and instead of coming to the aid of his father, goes out and makes a mockery of him. Now when the other two sons, Shem and Japheth, hear this mocking, they go to work to do the right thing. They, they get a garment and, and put it over their shoulders and back in and cover their dad, being sure to avoid looking at his nakedness. But when Noah comes to, we hear God's pronouncement on the situation. Ham and his descendants are cursed. Their founder had no fear of God, had no respect for his earthly father, and had an unhealthy approach to sexual issues. And the culture that would arise from him would embrace the same lawlessness and lewdness. But if you're looking at chapter 9, verses 26 or 25 and 26 and 27, you read the curse on Ham, then you're expecting there to be a blessing on Shem and Japheth in verses 26 and 27. But that's not how it begins. Instead, it says, Blessed be. Yahweh. Now sure, Shem ends up all right. Ham will serve him. Japheth will find refuge in him. But what's going on here? Why is Yahweh the one who's blessed even though the good comes to Shem? Well, this has everything to do with Genesis 3.15, which if you've been following in our series is a really critical verse. When the world first fell in their rebellion against God, the hope for the world, according to 3.15, was a seed from the woman, an offspring of Eve, who would ultimately crush the serpent. So as you read from that point on, you're kind of waiting and waiting. Who will be the seed? And Eve does give birth. She gives birth to a couple of sons and doesn't go real well. And you're waiting, and you're waiting, and finally, some genealogies come in chapters 4 and 5. There we learn that Seth would be the line of blessing. We kind of breathe a sigh of relief. And then we're hit with chapter 6. And we've learned that things just 
continue to get worse. But just look, if you have your Bibles open still, look at chapter 6, verse 9. Right after how bad it is at the beginning of chapter 6, it says, these are the generations of Noah. Not exactly a genealogy that follows, it's more stories and eventually genealogies, but you get the idea. Noah is going to be the line of hope. And so we wait and wait. Things seem to be going well. God wipes them out, preserves Noah. Going good. And then again, Noah ends up drunk and his second son ends up a lawless pervert. You see what Genesis is doing as we follow along. What are these genealogies doing? They're pointing us to a seed who will rescue. But they're also showing us repeatedly that man isn't fixed yet, even as we wait. And so we keep waiting. Even after the restart of the flood, we, we have to keep waiting. But that's the key. Even as we wait, it's blessed be Yahweh. The line that's coming from Seth, from Noah, and ultimately from Shem, isn't a line of blessing because of man. It's because of Yahweh who is keeping a promise to bring about blessing upon an earth that's cursed. A line is coming that will not be slave to Ham and his ways. A line is coming that will be a place of protection for the nations. A line is coming that is a line of hope, a line of promise, and it's the line God will use. And so it is, blessed be Yahweh, even as we talk about the good that will come to Shem. And then right after that, of course, wham, we're hit with a genealogy. Of course we are. That's the pattern in Genesis. And so Japheth and those far-off foreigners who will ultimately find refuge in the line of Shem, they are listed first. And then Ham, the mighty nations with mighty Nimrod as their figurehead, featuring bastions of immorality like Sodom and Gomorrah, like Nineveh and the Assyrians, like Egypt and Canaan and the Philistines, these seemingly These seeming powerhouses come name after name after name with Ham. And then finally Shem comes. I don't know if you caught this, but there's actually a little break from the pattern with Shem. So when we we start with sons of Japheth, just right out there, the sons of Japheth, verse 2. With Ham, it just starts right out there, verse 6, the sons of Ham, and then the listed. Verse 22 is where we find that formula. The sons of Shem, and they're listed. But before that, Shem is introduced. A break from the pattern. To Shem also, the father of all the children of Eber. Now Eber is not, I think he's like fourth down the line from from Shem. But we draw our attention to the fact that Shem is the father of all the children of Eber. Now, Eber is where we get the term Hebrew. So he's drawing attention to the fact that Shem is the father of the Hebrews, from which Abraham 
would come. Shem matters because his line is the line of the promise. You see how these genealogies in chapter 10 follow right from those blessings at the end of chapter 9? The curse and the blessings. And so it's starting to answer the question for us, why are the nations raging? Why is there division and discord? What's the cause of that fire? Yes, they're all descended from Noah, but why all this division? Because the nations stand in a long line of those who choose to rebel against God and embrace lawlessness and immorality. Yes, particularly Ham. But in a sense, it it pervades us that their God is their belly. And whatever decency they try to project is merely a means to an end of their own pleasure. And Maple Avenue, what this did for Israel, it should also do for us. It should sober us up. The world with all its bells and whistles, can look so attractive. It can seem so compelling. Its siren sound can pull us in. But its ways are not the ways of life. We shouldn't be writing our poems and singing our songs to Nimrod. Be chasing him as our ideal. Nineveh and Sodom shouldn't be the cities that capture our imagination and command our loyalty. There is a higher and fairer kingdom marked by the blessing of God. A kingdom ushered in by Seth's son, by Noah's son, by Shem's son, by Eber's son, by Abraham's son, by King Jesus himself. His kingdom is completely unlike the kingdoms of this world. It is marked by justice and peace and love and kindness. It will be a new humanity set apart and redeemed from the stains of this world, shining out as glorious image bearers for the King that this humanity represents. That is what should have our hearts and our loyalties. Or to put it differently, the end of Genesis 9 disposes us to read Genesis 10 a certain way. It disposes us to long for the line of Shem and to be warned of the line of Ham. The power-mongering and division represented throughout the genealogy, but especially in Ham's line, is a result of rebellion against God and His ways. 
as powerful and impressive as this world may be, it shouldn't charm us. Don't let it hypnotize you and glaze your eyes so you become a walking zombie in its path. Instead, God, blessed be Yahweh, God is doing something. Something to restore, something to renew, something to reclaim blessings for this whole world, for all people. And so our eyes should be fixed on Him and the line through which His promise will come. So you see how how this genealogy, this, this musical rest, makes far more sense when we understand it in light of what preceded it. And it also makes more sense when we understand how it fits with what follows it. The story, the famous story of the Tower of Babel. Now we know the story in chapter 11 of the Tower of Babel is intended to be connected to our genealogy for a couple reasons. First, uh, look at chapter 11, verse 10. These are the generations of Shem. So, so the, the nine verses that, that span from the end of chapter 10 to 11.10 are just an interruption in Shem's genealogy at a certain level. We have an incomplete genealogy of Shem at the end of 10, and then we go up to Shem's genealogy again. But that's not the only clue that this genealogy is, that chapter 10's genealogy is supposed to be connected to the story of the Tower of Babel. Because in our genealogy, you have Noah's one line being divided into all sorts of languages and nations and clans and lands, right? But chapter 11 starts out, how? with the people united in one with one language. So the story of Babel is basically the backstory to how the division came about. Yes. As God intended it, humanity should be united. That's a good thing. In fact, the Bible strikes a decided position that flies in the face of many other worldviews, ancient and modern, in asserting that all of us are literally descended from the same human ancestors. We truly are one family from Adam and Eve, from Noah. And that's how God designed it. And then Ephesians 2 tells us that Jesus came in part to tear down the dividing wall of hostility that separated mankind from one another. And we have a picture given to us in Revelation 7 of one new humanity united around King Jesus made up of people from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language. All praising God and enjoying His blessing. You see, a united humanity is exactly what God had in mind. But back here in Genesis 11, which we'll be looking at more next week or in two weeks, instead of being united around God's gracious and good rule, how are they united? 
They're united around themselves and their own greatness, and they build a tower to prove how wonderful they are. And so God separates them into those various clans and languages and lands. He, he drives them from Babel, now divided. So the divisions we read about in Genesis 10 are a direct result of mankind rebelling against God. We could put it like this. The fires of distrust and division within our hearts are there as a result of sin. And the fire that feels the unity of humanity is there within our hearts because that's how God designed it. But this latter fire of unity, if it's aimed at celebrating man and rejecting God, becomes just as toxic as the first fire. In fact, in a bit of irony, such a unity ends up being the source of the first kind of fire. The fire within us that that feels our common humanity is only rightly met as we all unite around our one rescuer, our one king. A king from the line of Shem. A king from the line of Eber. King Jesus. The solution to the the hatred and distrust and racism latent and native to all our hearts is actually not simply to feed the fire of our common humanity to stir us as people to unite and be great. Ironically, that will actually perpetuate the problem. The solution The true solution, to use the words of Jesus, is this. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Holy Spirit, or of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded. Our world today is aching. The prayer that Dave led us in, we are expressing it. Wounds of division are opening and festering. Lockdowns and Civic unrest are stoking embers of division. And the flame is beginning to burn strong. And many of us who who hear this want to stand up and be a part of the solution. And Genesis 10, a genealogy, gives us the path. 
We're not going to find the solution by celebrating the Nimrods and the Ninevehs. We cannot look to Babel for solutions. The great voices and the leaders of this godless world do not and cannot hold the keys to our unity. Instead, we need to look to the line of Shem. We need Jesus. The one who breaks down the walls of hostility. And if the world is going to say, see Jesus as the solution, then His church must model this unity. We must offer to the world a foretaste of the eternal kingdom. The new humanity that Jesus is forming around Himself should reflect what King Jesus is about. Because through His death and resurrection, He gives us new hearts. He gives us new natures, new desires. Some of you who are listening to this are not yet followers of Jesus. And I want to invite you this morning to join the movement. Lay down your self-rule and your self-righteousness. Turn your back on the empty promises that this world keeps putting out and embrace the one King who can actually unite us, who's going to come back one day and truly unite the world for all who are in Christ. If you do, you get to be a part of that eternal, righteous kingdom where there's harmony and peace and justice and love. A humanity marked by the truest and highest unity and brotherhood. I invite you to be a part of that. Now the rest who are listening are already followers of Jesus. And so let us give ourselves to making King Jesus known of the line of Shem. And let us give ourselves to living out the harmony that He secured. Let's give this world a foretaste of heaven that will whet their appetites for something far better than what this world affords. Will you pray with me now to that end? Father, thank you for this list of, of names, some we giggle at, because as we dig in and we see its massive significance, we long for the unity that you designed. We grieve the division that's there because of sin. And we say, blessed be Yahweh. Our only hope of righteousness is not found in us, but only in you, the author of a new humanity. Open hearts right now to embrace King Jesus and help us all to be a part of his good rule. In Christ's name, amen.